Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. everybody hi joe hey how you doing i'm very good how are you doing great it's a gorgeous day today as we're sitting in this nicely air-conditioned studio um yes sitting beside <laughs> he looks like the great gatsby <laughs> he does you know he <laughs> puts us puts it to shame we, are, we arrived like flustered sweating Yes, he looks like a boy you'd see sort of leaning on a tennis racket on, on a yacht, <laughs> yeah. on a yacht in the, in, in the Mediterranean. And our guest today just looked like this was, he was born for for 20 degrees or he whatever. Came, he, came to our, he, he came to our wedding in Knockmore GA Club and he was there with his, with his boyfriend, Tiago. You know, and the two of them looked like a pair of sort of playboys uh, that you would see on the Riviera in the middle of this, these chick... <laughs> Check shirted throngs. <laughs> David Goff. Uh, uh, sipping, sipping, you know, sipping martinis, shaking, not stirred as everybody else was drinking pints. And everyone was going, you, you, he's got, he's you, got to be the most elegant referee in the history of Gaelic football. David, you're very welcome to Free State. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. Uh, you hold your drink better than Joe, you told me. Yeah, well, I have a gin and tonic and a bit of slimline tonic. It goes down a lot easier and maybe not as many. But I hold them well enough, just enough to get the stories out of him. Yeah, I think I think to be fair now, um, it's it's high time that David made a public apology for getting me sacked from RTE. Yeah. Looking for something before half time, Gary, and there's a pullback there. 
Johnny Cooper's on the ground. He's got a yellow card before. He's got a second one. He's on red and he's off. Dubliner down to 14 after 35 minutes. Like we've got to go back to David Goff, who I am well, very well, surprised. Well, let's look at one of the key moments I mean. that he was involved in because Johnny Cooper and David Clifford had this brilliant battle going on in yeah. the, the full-back, full-forward line. So you're talking about... That's probably a yellow joke. But yeah, you know, yeah, you, yeah, you, I think... He's had one foul before that. Yeah, so it's, it's a second foul, so you can't... I agree, that's you, a yellow. You can't argue I, with that. I have no issue that. This is but the penalty, the penalty was a scandal. It was not a penalty in a million years. This is a free this, out. Yeah. Johnny yeah. Cooper received well, that was a yellow foul. There's no doubt that was a foul. The penalty was never a penalty. The referee, I, I think, must clearly have been influenced by the propaganda yeah. that's been coming from Kerry. Yeah, and I think... I think this is the time to do it. It's the right. It's the right. I might end right up sacked from the GA after this one. <laughs> you might get sacked if you apologise yeah, to Joe Bradley. He still maintains that was a yellow card. Johnny Cooper, I think. It's you made, you made up. You do you want to do you want to do you want to take this opportunity finally to apologise? No, I pass on that one. Just this again, Joe. <laughs> you keep every time you meet. <laughs> you get this opportunity yeah, for the yeah, public yeah. apology. Yeah, sacked, sacked for getting a yellow card wrong. I mean, yeah, honestly. Yeah. That was. Yeah. That was a. Was that a, a strange time? A tough time when that was all happening, and you're in the eye of that storm. David, now not Joe. At the time on the pitch, or, or afterwards? Afterwards. Um, I suppose we didn't really know much about it because we went off and we celebrated what we thought was a, a great performance. Others didn't think it was that great, but um, we we had a, a fantastic evening. Um, and it was just after that, I suppose, the following day that we realised that something was amiss, and the phone was hopping when I switched it back on mm. the next morning. And uh, look at. It was what it was. I made my decision in the heat of, of battle and made it correctly, unfortunately, for Joe. <laughs> he wouldn't have known the rules at the time. See, David's, David's problem is that he's an awkward bastard. And by that I mean that he's got integrity and he's got the stuffing and he does it honestly as he sees it. And whenever someone doesn't go with the flow, as he doesn't, people are automatically suspicious of them, you know. And uh, I mean, I, I looked at the, I have to say, I looked at the penalty decision. Now, as soon as it happened, I said, oh, Jesus, they've got to him, the carry ones have got to him. But looking at it afterwards, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, he, he basically lift, lifted Clifford and put him, set him down in a different position so that he couldn't, it was a definite penalty. Mm. And also the yellow card, I have to, have to, have to give that to you, you know. So the public apology uh, should be going the other way. Well, I did. I, I, mm. I, I did. Mm. As you know, I'm a world-class <laughs> apologizer. You are, yeah. Yeah. And uh, David, I think, texted me on the Tuesday, Wednesday board. He says, don't tell me I've got you sacked. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, isn't he's, I, I told I told Dan this, you know, he's always punctual mm. and always pristine. I mean, I knew you'd be here before we arrived. Yeah, yeah. But is that is that something about being a referee today that is is more and more uh, overwhelming? Just that sense of people, like it's it's a it's a kind of a bigger issue even in sport now. The amount of a, any social media pylons and people coming at things in bad faith and accusing people of of all sorts to kind of just muddy the waters. Is that something that is is harder and harder to? To block out when you're when you're refereeing a match. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. That's the horror 
of social media that it gives everyone an opportunity to voice their opinion, an opinion that mightn't voice to your face. Yeah. And uh, quite often, more often than not, in the run-up to big games, we just have to switch it off. I mean, because it gets to you, you know, and no matter how hard you try not to look at it, someone will tag you in it or someone will send you a photograph or a screenshot saying, have you seen this or this was said about you? Mm. You just get rid of it. Yeah. It's a huge pressure. I mean, the Ulster final was, you know, capacity crowd, 30,000 people, you know, very warm day, you know, a hugely grinding, competitive game with a wide lot of stuff going on off the ball, illustrating, of course, the impossibility for the modern referee. And uh, it it takes someone of David's stature to referee a game like that. I mean, it was very funny during it, you know, because I'm so friendly with David and I'm associated with all of his bad decisions. You see, <laughs> that's your fucking man, Brawley. Aye, aye. Look, what the, look at that, Brawley. End of Gormley and McCusker, you see, still smarting from the All-Ireland Club final defeat, you see. And so uh, uh, any sort of, anyway, controversial, Gormley and McCusker, you see, shouting over at me, ah, that's your fucking man, Brawley, <laughs> you see. And then, of course, when we won on penalties, we were sitting afterwards and the boy saying, Jesus, is this fair play to golf? He did a great job. <laughs> isn't it, isn't it, you know, that... Uh, that it's that sort of difference between the, the thoroughly forensic job you have to do and then the vast emotions that all the spectators have. I think he, he copes with it very, very well. I think it, it might be, it might be, I think that very clear, ferociously fair approach you take to games might have something to do with your own development as a young person. It struck me. Absolutely, it would be something I would have spoken about a number of times when we visit the sports psychologist around my own perceived unhappiness or, or struggles around fairness and equality um, in my own life growing up. And I suppose when I look at that in, in relation to the GA, maybe um, the type of conditions I tried to create on the pitch because of the type of conditions that I would despise in my own life. Yeah, you're. Um, I mean, we obviously know each other very well, and we had a very, uh, I thought, moving day. Donny and Nesbitt sort of cleared out the front snug for us one Saturday morning, and of course, you know, he was there before me. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it was a very moving day, really, and uh, I learned so much about you that I hadn't known. But but maybe maybe you'd tell us. Maybe you would go back to the beginning. And uh, tell us, cause I just think it's so delightful. Tell us how uh, your uh, your mum and dad met. So that that sticks in my mind. Oh, mum and dad met um, in Navan uh, on a blind date uh, many many years ago. Definitely, I'd say in the late seventies. And uh, you know, to think that dad had a few drinks for for courage and. Uh, I don't think he knew which one was mum when he walked into the pub. <laughs> Did he sit down beside the wrong one? I'm not sure. The story's so muddled, I've heard it that many times. Yes, I mean, how, how the course of history would have changed at that. Uh... So he sat down beside the woman he wasn't meant to be going on the blind uh, There was a, a few friends, like mum is originally from Dublin, and but her family home would have originally been with granny down in, in Navan, and dad's from Slane, so there's a right mix of of friends from, from, from the area so they were all congregating together and, 
I believe they had a great night, and <laughs> the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and your your mum was <laughs> Irish hairdresser of the year. Yeah, something along uh, those lines. Yeah. yeah, she was a fantastic hairdresser. She used to work on uh, on Fade Street, not not too far from where Dylan McGrath has his his restaurant and David Marshall's, and she was uh, an apprentice hairdresser at the time, and she had a fantastic piece out in the RDS designing someone's hair and might know all sorts of photography and ended up in the in the newspaper. So maybe that's where you get your <coughs> sense of style from. My perfectionism, that. is it? Is that where you get that comes from, yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely. They were never let outside the front door for secondary school without the shoes polished and the hair done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were known as the Flanders, myself and my brother. Yeah, you weren't sort of slouching into school. Absolutely like, like not. Like a down-at-heel bus conductor. Mm, not that Colin O'Rourke could let us, but, you know. Yeah. And uh, so, your your upbringing. I mean, you, you were born really into a very GA environment. In in there was nothing much else for us in the village, and, and the family was heavily involved in in GA. Uncles, grandfather, um, and my brother, who's what we call an Irish twin. He's just over eleven months older than me. So dad would take over the football team and we'd be brought all the way from one side of the parish to the other. We're, we're closest to Navan and the pitch is closest to Drada. There's a long trek, maybe nine or ten miles across the parish to the football field. And I always played up a level. So I was always on the same team as Stephen. Um, and that was the team Dad took. And uh, we had great times playing together. Fortunate enough to have played football with my uncle and my brother on the same day in championship, which is a, a lovely memory. Um, Dad's youngest brother, uh, the three golfs lining out for the village. Class. And you played for St. Pat's Navan, obviously, when you went there. I did, but I wasn't as good as my brother. My brother would have marked Ronan Clark in, in, in the Hogan Cup final in, in, in 2000 when, when St. Pat's Navan beat um, Armagh, St. Pat's Armagh. I was subbed the following year when we beat um, Jarlett's Chum in the All-Ireland final down by six points and came back to win it. And fantastic achievement. And, you know, even for Colm, the tradition of football that he had set up in the school and uh, it's still carried through to this day. And refereeing then to become like it's uh, it's another like you know, to be to, to be playing a sport and then to decide like I know from even with like my son's like you know nine year old you know, nine he's nine like anyone anytime it's like you have to referee a game it's like oh Jesus Christ you know <laughs> what I mean like this is you know you're you're, 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 you're you know you're it's it's a, a thankless th- task even with you know with uh, you know at, at that age level when you're just you might even though we don't have referees like that's the whole but if you do it in a kind of mini World Cup or whatever uh, but. Why would you decide that this is something when you're enjoying a game to make that leap into into something that you know is going to be uh, so demanding and grueling? It's not a simple answer, I suppose. It's a culmination of a couple of things. I'd already started my journey into officiating. I used to travel from St. Patrick's College in Drumcondra out to Leopardstown, just at the back of the race course there. There's a lovely dome for indoor tennis courts. And I had done some tennis umpiring courses um, when I was in college and um, we were sitting in the, the canteen of St. Pat's College from Condra, the Games Development Officer a fantastic man called Tom Fitzpatrick arrived in and threw a whistle at me. There's a coming a month school game out there that needs refereeing the referee hasn't turned up 
And there's 40 euro in it for you. Out you go. And as a student, 40 euro, Tuesday afternoon, nice, sunny, warm weather for running around for an hour. And it just took off. Tom, at the time, was training the top referees in Croke in Park, the Brian Gavins, the Pat McAninis. And he said to me afterwards, Goffey, this is something you need to do. I'll get you the games. So I used to hop on the bus from Drumcondra down to Fairview Park, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and referee the coming one school games. €120 Euro as a student for three days. So like you were 19 or 20 years of age. 19 or 20 years of age, getting right. that experience. And, uh, and did you enjoy it? I enjoyed enjoy getting the money. money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just have to be honest. You're <laughs> a mercenary bastard. It was fantastic. It was kids' games, no problems. Uh, primary school teachers on the line, never issues. Fun. Um, what real GA is supposed to be about. Yeah, and, and... But I suppose, you know, alongside that, you know, there was a, there was a private war being waged inside you. Absolutely, and that's the, the other part of the, the refereeing story at the outset is the opportunity refereeing gave me to get out of the dressing room and still be involved in Gaelic games. Yeah, so let's... I mean, um, I think you you t- told me for the first time, I think you told me that you'd never told anyone this. And this, is, this is the great benefit of having... Having seven jars, you know, when you're when you were interviewing someone, uh, but I, I I will never forget your description of your epiphany, you know. And as I as I recall it, it started with you walking home from school down Bruce Hill. Was it Navan? That's exactly it. The the lovely walk from St Pat's Navan past the Mercy Convent. Um, down to the bus station and we used to pass by a petrol station every day and I was doing my junior cert at the time I'm not sure if it was after maybe a business studies um, exam my chance upon going in to the shop to pick up can't remember a bottle of water chocolate and on the front page of the Daily Star was a photograph of Stephen Gately who was after coming out at that time uh, so long ago, such a, a huge impression it made on me. I bought it, put it into a plastic folder and brought it home in my backpack to the house. I didn't open it until I had the bedroom door closed behind me that afternoon. And what, what did it feel like when you... What were you feeling when you saw that? It was strange because I had never known anyone in my life that had said publicly or privately that they might have had the same feelings that I was feeling and if you you know at that age that you're you might not be interested in girls or that you're certainly not and you're interested in in men it can be frightening because you don't understand the feelings you don't know why you're made like this um and who do you talk to how do you explore them how do you come to terms with them and to see someone coming out so publicly in the Irish media it's a little bit of hope but still at the same time I knew if I never spoke the words those three words that are so difficult for people to say I am gay as long as you never breathe life or voice into them well then they're not real Is that what you felt? You felt that was your plan of action? 
to just never say it, never acknowledge it? No, because I didn't think I was going to fit in and that is just human nature. Everyone wants to feel part of something. Everyone wants to belong. And as far as I was concerned at the time, 15 years of age, I certainly wasn't going to belong within the family, within the church, which I was still going to at that age. I was reading at Mass at 15 years of age every Sunday morning within within the GA. And I wasn't going to belong possibly within within the education system. I, I wanted to be a primary school teacher and up until a few years ago it was illegal. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Let me, let me take you back to which I think is such a, a moving image of this what age were you when you when you bought the newspaper? Fifteen. Was that your first the first newspaper you'd ever bought? I'd imagine yes. And I'll, I'll just take you back to this boy sitting up on his bed with the door locked in the bedroom, you know, secretively reading this. And um, I mean, what what were you feeling? It's a huge sense of excitement, almost a thrill inside me that someone else actually could articulate how I was feeling. And um, that's frightening at 15 years of age to think that, you know, you don't know anyone to talk to and to sit and read that, something that's so public and to see, I suppose, the, the support there was for Stephen at the time in the media. Um, but Stephen was famous. Stephen was well known. He was well known all around the world. I was just David Goff from Slane. Can you remember the picture? I can. What Not so much the front front page, but the inside what page. Was he wearing? He was wearing a kilt. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you would uh, you'd look great in a kilt. But, but 
what was there then was that the moment when had you ever thought before like you know I'm I'm different and oh, I, absolutely I, there's plenty of times I would have thought um I'm different um that that there was just something you know there was an attraction to men not no reason didn't understand why um but there was also still an attraction to to girls I've girlfriends up until I was 24 years of age. Yeah, well, just sort of uh, come that in, in a way you were hiding in plain sight. I was. With that. With that. But obviously that that was a very I don't want to put words in your mouth so tell me if this is wrong but it was a very damaging double life if you were denying your your, your real self. You know, it must have been, it must have taken a, a huge sort of psychological toll on you. It, it's hard to wear a mask all the time to pretend to not let people see the real you. And it takes a long time to get over that. Um, and there certainly there might have been a bit of internal homophobia very much in my early years before I came out. And afterwards, but it must have been, you know. I think you told me that that on your first day in, in the training college, when you went to the training college, you wore your Hogan Cup winning jersey. That's correct. And you wore it as a sort of a public statement. Look, lest there be any doubt about this, I'm heterosexual. I'm a GA man. Absolutely. I knew I was going to fit in. I knew it was a conversation starter. I knew people would think he's played at a fairly high level. It's a key pack sign on the front of his jersey. Hogan Cup winning team 2001. Um, and that, that was going to be the conversation. He's one of the tribe. Absolutely. And when you, t- when, when you talk about the internal homophobia, like what, does, what do you mean by that? Like was there ever any time, did you ever kind of have external homophobia where you again tried to fit in by being homophobic or I think by internal homophobia I mean that I was the sporty gay I was the one that that played football played tennis involved in sport Um, I wasn't like maybe some of the lads who were a little bit more camp a little bit more extravagant to people that I would have perceived at the time that we only saw on on television the the Graham Nortons of of his time and uh that's where the internal homophobia probably came right, from. Yeah. I mean, it. Uh, I, I said to you, I don't know if we've talked about this before, obviously, but I said to you, you know, like, did, did no one, I was so surprised, I said, you know, did no one suspect in college when you showed no interest in girls and you said, <laughs> Jesus Christ, I was, I was having sexual relationships with women Absolutely. all over the place. And, uh, I mean, it did, it did sort of, you know, remind me of cases that I used to do when I started off as a barrister. Um, and when, you know, you were going back to sort of 1991, 92, mm-hmm. and don't forget, I mean, homosexuality was was illegal in the North until very recently because of the sort of the, the ruling governing sort of party's position on that. And I mean, I can remember defending 
you know, they used to have these days in the magistrate's court where you would have 50 men, the majority of them married, who'd been arrested in police operations at public toilets, you know, men living lives of quiet despair and who were married with children, you know. And, uh, I mean, a gay friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, you know, tells me that he's constantly badgered for sex by married men. I mean... It's very common. Very, very common. Um, it's tough. It's not for me. Like, isn't it? But for, for those people living that lie. I lived it for long enough and I I don't want to think that anyone else would have to live it any longer. And is that men of... Uh, is that young married men? Is that people who still feel... You know that there is a there's a way of hiding rather than the age is really r- irrelevant. Yeah. I mean, it, it's men of every age that just feel that you know that society isn't for them if they're of a homosexual persuasion and they're living a double life. Yeah, I mean, and uh, the, the 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 detail of and it is a fascinating life, and maybe someday that you'll get round to 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 write. Right, your memoir, but your uh, your first love, of course, was not a man at all. No, it wasn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, on that journey that I used to make in the morning from Naving Shopping Centre up Bruce Hill, as I said, past Mercy College, um, Mercy Secondary School in Navin, just in Pats, I would pass by a girl who'd come in the opposite direction from. As boy, and every morning and every afternoon on the way home, we'd pass. Uh, Good morning, how are you? I didn't know who she was. We'd smile, um, and that went on for a very, very long time before I actually had the opportunity of, of meeting her, getting to know her name. Before we were old enough, I suppose, uh, to be going out in fifth year in Navin. And uh, when I repeated my leaving cert, I finally plucked up the courage to invite her to my devs and we had a fantastic a fantastic night um, and then I moved to Dublin for, for college and didn't see much of her again until maybe 2012 or 20, no, 2016 after um, the wristband in, in Crow Park and I'm sitting de-stressing after a game in a panty bar with a, a friend on a Sunday evening and I turned down to my right hand side and I see this beautiful figure in the corner and I look and I say oh my god there she is <laughs> and I wonder I wonder who she's she's here with or has, you know what which one of the gay friends is she out with this evening or what, what's going on and I kind of shied away and I said god I don't know if I can go up and say hello to her and um, I went to the bar got another drink as the evening wore on I finally plucked up the courage to go and speak to her a stunning looking girl absolutely fabulous and uh, just the usual meet and greet and how have you been doing and you know what have you doing she was an air hostess and um, she had heard my story and complimented me on, on what I was doing within the GA and I looked around and said who are you here with and uh, oh she said this is my girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> yes you, turn, you uh, turned her lesbian I turned her lesbian you turned her lesbian yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she possibly turned UK absolutely it's one or the other
on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns